Good afternoon and welcome to the Legal Eagle Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. I'm an attorney here in Lakeland. Uh, to call into the show, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. My office is conveniently located at 904 South Missouri Avenue in Lakeland. That's directly behind the old Southside Dry Cleaners that's on South Florida Avenue. My parking lot literally come, butts up to the back of their building. So if you find it, you can't help but find me. I'm right behind them. Today, I thought we would hit a topical issue, uh, something that came up during really the last week, uh, that we hit the 30-second sound bites on TV with a half-baked explanation, and I, I can't stand when I see things like that because the amount of misinformation or disinformation or just lack of information can really skew people's opinions and and the public in general about what the whole process and system is about. And so that's why I like to do this and go into a much deeper analysis of it uh, to try to help people understand what's going on with it. And the subject matter today is the United States Supreme Court and the leak and the ramifications of that leak. And a lot of people are like, well, we've already heard all about this. No, you really haven't. You've heard that there's a leak and that it was leaked to a group called Politico, which was a group to be able to try to disseminate it. Uh, but there's a lot of underlying parts that you haven't heard yet, and there's a lot of underlying parts uh, yet to be dealt with out of it that will have a lot of long-term effect from this point on on how the United States Supreme Court uh, deals with their deliberations and their opinions. Uh, we've got way in excess of 220 years' worth of of precedent out there that have come through the United States Supreme Court without ever having this type of situation occur, ever. And that's why it is so much of a fundamental issue that it has to be dealt with, uh, and hopefully they'll be able to figure out who the leaker is so that it can be dealt with appropriately, because it has created an undermining of the court, and I will go into a lot of that during the course of this program. But what happened was a draft opinion from the U.S. Supreme Court was leaked on a case called Dobbs, State Health Officer of the Mississippi Department of Health, versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Now, when that gets abbreviated downward later, much like Roe versus Wade was really a lot longer in its titling than just Roe versus Wade, it'll probably be something like Dobbs versus uh, Jackson Women's Health, or Dobbs versus Jackson. It's weird how we can track things like that, but we do that for brevity's sake uh, within the legal community to be able to try to, once something's become a landmark case, it helps bring it to the forefront really quickly without having to take a lot of time going through this million-dollar uh, titling of it. Uh, now, the million-dollar titling of it is always used when we're citing it within a case uh, as the appropriate way to do that. But this, case, this particular draft opinion, now this is not a final opinion, folks. It's a draft opinion. What's the difference? Well, a draft opinion is not law. It is a draft that has been written by one of the justices or by their law clerks that the justice is approving of the way it's written or has put his, final, his or her final stamp on it. But one of the justices, after they've gone back and talked about 
the way they want to rule on this in their their I don't want to use the word star chamber. That's really the wrong way of calling it. But in their Supreme Court chamber area where they all assemble, and it's supposed to only be the justices in there doing that. No one else is usually around for that part of the process. They will then sit around and talk around about it and kind of get an idea of what the majority is is feeling or wanting to do. At that point, it gets assigned to one of the justices for purposes of the written opinion. Now, that doesn't ultimately mean that later on that couldn't shift, uh, that the opinion may not even be the majority. Um, it could be, or it could be the majority. Justices sometimes change their mind after they've had these initial votes and flip sides and change the whole outcome of case before it's actually issued. So this is a draft opinion that was written by Justice Samuel Alito, and within it, it purports to overturn the ruling of Roe versus Wade, which was from 1973, dealing with abortion and privacy rights of women. Um, and Justice Blackman wrote that opinion back then. And it basically was the first time we've, we've conceptualized the idea of the 14th Amendment and the right to privacy and extending it to what we call uh, what the legal system calls the ability or right to have uh, an abortion through the women having that right to do so. Um, now, I'm not here to debate so everybody's clear whether there is even such a right and the moral correctness of any of that. And the whole purpose of this show is more to dive into the legal analysis of the problems associated with the procedural aspect of what happened on this with the leak. And I'm trying to give you the procedural background as well as to how these opinions get formulated to begin with. But they have what's called oral arguments in most of these that are at the U.S. Supreme Court level. Uh, they will then go back and talk to each other about it and and debate with each other about it back in their chambers, try to get an initial idea of who's on what part or what side, and then it gets assigned to a particular justice for the written opinion. And in this case, Justice Samuel Alito was the one that apparently it was assigned to based on the initial vote tally. This is not a final opinion. I want to stress that again. It is not a final opinion. And so that we're also talking on the same page, and I'll go into this more after the break, Roe versus Wade has already been receded from uh, in a case that was modifying it in 1992 called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And, you know, we all learned back when we were in high school, and I even learned in law school and undergrad that about the first trimester, second trimester, and third trimester issues as it would relate to abortion and whether a person could get one or not. That was the original uh part of the written opinion of Roe versus Wade. Planned Parenthood versus Casey did away with that trimester framework and geared it more towards what we call fetal viability, meaning the ability of the fetus to continue to grow and thrive after a certain point. And again, that's because science had, had changed quite a bit from the 70s to the 90s. The ability to determine how well the fetus is doing and where it was at and how it was affecting the mother had also evolved quite a bit from 1973 to 1992. So there was a change even before now. So sit here and tell me that it's it's overriding Roe is not a completely accurate statement. 
You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to the League of Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call into the show, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. We've been talking about a very recent topical subject, and that's the the leaking of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, draft opinion as it would relate to a case that is purported to overturn Roe versus Wade. And as I indicated before the break, that's not completely accurate. Roe versus Wade had already been modified considerably in a 1992 opinion, uh, doing away with the trimester framework and going towards what we call fetal viability. And that was in 1992. Advances in medicine and technology since 1992, which is, my math says, 30 years ago at this point, have been amazing. And so, once again... This issue's back in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. And at this point, based on what the initial draft opinion looks like, and again, this has not been signed off on and agreed to by all of the other justices, is that they would now recede completely from where Roe versus Wade was at and, and place the issue back with each of the individual states to deal with it on how they perceive and let their state legislatures deal with it on a state-by-state basis uh, concerning what restrictions would be put on to abortions. Now, does that make abortions automatically illegal? No. Now, that's an overgeneralized no, but I'm going to give you a big no on that. Most, and I say most, a good 50% of the states would still have very much like what we see currently in the way of the ability to get abortions and maybe even more liberalized ways of getting abortions. There are another big group of states that would have what they call an automatic trigger mechanism. In other words, they've already built within their state laws the ability to have a much more restrictive type of abortion uh, availability based on if a court opinion overturns Roe versus Wade. There are actually quite a few of those states that have those types of trigger mechanism, and that is an actual word that they call it. Uh, it's based on a statute that's been written, and it does not become law or the functioning law of the land in that state until a particular event occurs, like the overturning of an, uh, a federal law or a federal rule, as would have been set up through verse, Roe versus Wade. Have there ever been any previously leaked U.S. Supreme Court opinions? Now, what, I'm being very careful when I use the word opinion. An opinion, by definition, is a written, finalized opinion. And the answer, we don't even have any previously non-finalized written draft opinions in the history of this country since the United States Supreme Court's been in existence and functioning that have ever been leaked prior to the final opinion being done. And a lot of people go, well, wait a minute, I'm hearing in the media that there have been previously leaked issues. Yes, leaked issues, but never a leaked opinion. Um, now, there's been some other possible leaked ideas before, and I'm going to go into a few of those examples in just a second, but that's not the same thing as taking an actual draft of an opinion. 
that's being circulated amongst the justices and leaking that to the general public. That is a huge difference. Uh, the other ones are bad, too, but the whole idea here is that the Supreme Court is supposed to have the the sanctity t- attached to it to where they can uh, argue amongst themselves, uh, discuss amongst themselves the logical ex- uh, way of coming to an opinion using precedents and what's before them, as well as the facts of each given case, in order to issue what will ultimately be the highest form of ruling in our country. When we allow things like leaked opinions, and I'm kind of skipping ahead just a bit here, but when we allow things like a leaked opinion to happen, that violates that sanctity of that court and can potentially put unnecessary pressure on certain justices to rule a different way than what they believe is legally the correct way to rule on it. In other words, giving way to mob mentality. And we are already seeing this is something that's being shown on TV where demonstrators are gathering outside certain justices' homes where their families live at to protest this whole thing. Well, number one, it's not even final. So the whole idea is they're trying to put pressure on those justices uh, to change their opinion, what they believe to be their legal opinion, uh, to try to come up with a different result. And that's not what that... That's not what we intended by our framers with the three branches of government at all. Uh, Even protesting outside the Supreme Court before an opinion has been issued is a bad idea. It's going to ultimately have a a serious long-term effect on how things are done in this country. But as I indicated before, there have been some possible leaked ideas before. One of them was actually Roe versus Wade itself. There was leaked information from somewhere within those uh, hallowed halls of the Supreme Court of the United States as to which direction the court was going with Roe versus Wade itself. The 2012 Obamacare individual mandate case, there were leaked uh, suggestions as to which way Chief Justice Roberts was going to vote on that that would have indicated that he was going to vote one way, and ultimately it ended up that he voted the other way. But in in advance-type things, there were suggestions being made from somebody inside the Supreme Court, and we can only imagine it's either a clerk or a secretary because the reality is these justices want to try to keep that uh, sanctity of the court themselves because... That's how they're ultimately able to formulate their opinions that they're able to write and put forward without having undue pressure from either side. But that doesn't mean their law clerks or their secretaries are going to abide by that, especially if they have very uh, fixed opinions themselves already and want to try to have an outside influence. Uh, the 2004 Bush versus Gore case dealing with the election results in 2004, there were leaked There was leaked information on that as to which way the court uh, might go. But there was never a draft of an opinion in any of those cases uh, that would indicate how that was going to happen. We're we're talking in this case an actual, I think it was 40-some pages of an opinion 
that, and folks, that's a lot of pages. I mean, that's way over a chapter or two chapters in most any book that we'd be sitting out there reading. It's about an average, I hate to tell you, say, tell you this, on a U.S. Supreme Court case. They like to go in and make themselves sound a whole lot brighter than they really are when they write this stuff. And I don't mean to be sounding demeaning to them, but the more flower and prose they put into it, it seems to open up other uh, possible Pandora's boxes for us later on to be able to use on other cases, though. And the more dictum, which is stuff that they put into an opinion that's really not the holding, but it's their personal beliefs, uh, those kinds of things can help us try to win arguments on other cases. So they put a lot of information into these things. Maybe they'd be better off writing a four- or five-page opinion and, and giving us what we call a, a Reader's Digest version or a Cliff Notes version as opposed to these books that they write. But the whole idea on this is they this is clearly and has been confirmed by Chief Justice Roberts at this point this was the draft of an opinion that would have been drafted by Justice Alito. And that just cannot happen with that court system. It, it really impedes the ability of that court to function the way it's supposed to. Uh, as a result, Chief Justice Roberts has ordered a complete investigation. And a lot of people are going to go, okay, what does that mean? Well, we really don't know because we've never had one having to deal with something like this. I can tell you what it really does mean, and it's a quick overview, is that there is a person, and I'm going to go into that a little bit more in a little while, that has been assigned this case uh, to deal with the investigation. But the issue is going to be whether or not that, that group or that person and their investigators are going to be able to get to a conclusion on it. Uh, but he has ordered a complete investigation. And quickly, I will tell you, there's what they call a 20-second rule that has been uh, an unwritten rule, but it may actually be a written rule with the U.S. Supreme Court right now, and it has been for decades. Any clerk caught speaking to the media would be fired within 20 seconds. And the whole idea was that would keep these types of leaks from occurring. So the 20-second rule means if, when you're told that as a clerk, that means don't do it because you're going to get fired if you get caught. You have been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to The Legal Legal Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. We've been talking about the U.S. Supreme Court leaks and the ramifications of it. And as I had indicated before the break, no formal opinion has ever been leaked uh, before. Ever. Now, there have been outcomes of cases that were published before the opinion was released, but even those were in the mid 1800s. Uh, in 1852, Pennsylvania versus Wheeling and Belmont Bridge uh, Company, and then in 1855, the infamous Dred Scott versus Sanford decision. Those were the outcomes were released prior to the opinion being released. Now, let's think about what I just said. The major forms of communication back at that time were telegraph and uh, written newspapers. We, there were no such things as radios in the mid 1800s. And so you had basically a, a telegraph-type system that would then communicate to newspapers, and newspapers would publish it. 
if we waited on actual written opinions at times back then to be released to announce the outcome of a case, we would have delayed the implementation of those outcomes by months, not just days or weeks, but months. And so that's why it's important to understand that was the time period when you may have had a few outcomes of cases that were released without the actual opinion, and then the opinion would come down within a few days. But it's not a leak issue anymore. It's an outcome that's being announced. Um, And looking at this one even in a more critical fashion, we need to think about the idea of why was only the opinion of Alito leaked and not any of the dissenting-type opinions. And everybody could say, well, how do we know there's going to be dissents? Folks, this is such a hotbed issue. There's going to be dissenting opinions. People are not just going to say, I dissent. They're going to want to write an opinion stating why they dissent with hopes that that will eventually maybe curtail some of the states from doing what they're doing or going to do. Or they also might be trying to set up precedent in the future. A lot of times a dissenting opinion will then ultimately become a majority opinion 20, 30, 40 years down the road. So it's a benchmark, and it also makes them feel better that they vindicated themselves by saying, we shouldn't be doing this. So none of the dissenting opinions were published. Only the opinion of what was purported to be the draft of the majority opinion. So then the issue becomes, who did the leak? Well, we can kind of narrow that down rather quickly. It doesn't mean it's going to be pinpointed, but it does narrow it down. The people that would have had access to something like this, you're probably looking at uh, the clerk, the, the justices themselves, and that's nine of them. Alito's not going to leak his own opinion. That's just not going to happen. The issue then becomes whether it's one of the liberal justices, they're not going to leak it either because, again, they don't want to violate the sanctity of the court and what's been the the rule of the court, so to speak, for well in excess of 200 years. It's not going to be any of the justices. So I think we can effectively eliminate them without eliminating them. It gets you down to their law clerks and any secretarial staff that would have had access to it. I'm going to have to use a word I don't like using, which is assume. But most of those secretaries that work for the justices would probably have access to that type of information because that way they can print it off for their own justice to read and then either formulate a concurring opinion or a dissenting opinion. So they would probably have access to it. All of the law clerks are going to have access to it. And people go, well, there can't be that many of them. Well, yeah, there is. There's approximately 36 law clerks at any given time, roughly four per justice. And there's nine justices. So four times nine, 36. Yeah, I learned my basic mathematics back in elementary school, folks. So you got at least 36 of them, and then however many secretarial staff there are there, assume there's at least one per justice. I can't imagine them having any less than that. So you're talking at least 48 people, in addition to the justices, that would have had access to this written opinion to be able to get a hold of it and potentially leak it. The issue then becomes, is it a liberal justice clerk or a conservative justice clerk that would have leaked it? Well, there's 
viability to either side. I think one side probably has more viability to it than the other, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But, I mean, on the liberal justice clerk side, the, the whole attempt is to try to change the or, or to cause public opinion to sway the vote. In other words, they can get it leaked out there, and the public opinion is so adamantly against this that they're hoping that one or two of the justices might change their vote. And so they're trying to leak it in advance to sway the court. Folks, that is absolutely against the entire tenets of what this court's about. The court is supposed to be issuing opinions based on the law and the interpretation of that law, not based on public opinion. Public opinion is what the legislature and the presidency is about. That's why we have three branches to the government. There is supposed to be a sanctity within the court system to where public opinion does not have that kind of influence. So to attempt to do something by leaking an opinion, using public opinion, absolutely violates every tenet of what that clerk's there for to do within the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, there is another thought process, and that is that it was a conservative justice's clerk with the attempt to try to lock in the vote of some of those that might be kind of riding the fence, a couple of the newer justices. In other words, trying to force their hand by saying, hey, it's already been voted on and here it is. And that way it pushes them not to change their vote based on the fact that it's already been semi-announced. I, I kind of don't buy that argument. It's there. It, it, it's possible. It's kind of like when I'm reason, arguing reasonable doubt to a jury. I don't, I don't find this to be one that would reach to a reasonable doubt type standard. I think it's probably one of the, the liberal justice clerks that did the leaking on this. Uh, do I think it would be any of their secretaries? Nah, probably not. Those ladies need those jobs. They've had them for some of them decades. They're not going to put themselves into that kind of posture. Uh, the clerks, though, are only there for one-year periods of time each. And if they think that they can get away with it, and it was such an object, or, or not object, but a, a subject that they feel so strongly and passionately about and they want to have some influence over it, that's probably where it came from as one of those law clerks. Um, so... That gives you a, kind of an analysis of where I think it's going to end up at if they're able to figure out who did it. It has not been told to us yet whether this was a hard copy given to Politico or if it was sent in an email. If it was sent in an email, it's going to be very easy, I would think, to trace back whose email it came from through their own courthouse email addresses. Uh, they can't really get into Politico's type stuff, but they can certainly trace it within the Supreme Court building itself, and any kind of outgoing emails that would have been sent. Um, as If it was a hard copy where somebody printed it, that's going to be a little more difficult to be able to trace because short, I mean, they're all able to print these things off at any given time, you would assume, because that way they can look at it and, and try to modify uh, any dissenting opinion or concurring opinion they're writing to fit the belief of that particular justice. So that's why they would have the ability to print them off uh, is to be able to work on them. I don't know if they have any tracing devices within their computers to demonstrate who has accessed and printed those types of opinions. Uh, but I think it is telling 
that none of the dissents were disseminated to Politico. Uh, that kind of starts giving more of a hint that it came from a liberal, uh, one of the liberal clerks. And so that just is, again, I'm giving a lot of opinion at this point, but I think it's opinion based on fact that we know. And then the issue becomes, why is it so important that leaks not occur? The sanctity, again, and I've talked about this before, the sanctity of this branch of the government, these justices serve what we call lifetime appointments. And the whole idea is they're not having to run for office. They're not to be swayed by politics of the office. They are to base their opinions on the existing law and the Constitution. And this type of maneuvering by releasing of an, a, a draft opinion really gets it the entire sanctity of this court uh, in, in trying to sway the opinion of a justice uh, before the actual final opinion's done to try to change their vote, which would then cause a change in the overall opinion. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM. Welcome back to The Legal Eagle Show. This is your host, Tony Dodds. To call in, the number is 863-682-1430. That's 863-682-1430. To contact me at my office, the number is 863-688-2389. That's 863-688-2389. I'm conveniently located at 904 South Missouri Avenue here in Lakeland. We've been talking about the U.S. Supreme Court leak and its ramifications I've gone through everything up to what now is being done about this. And the answer is Chief Justice Roberts um, basically issued a statement last week, and part of his statement was confirming that, yes, that was the draft of the opinion. So at least we know it's not some superficial garbage that just got tossed out there. It is an actual draft. But he's also called it a betrayal of their system and confidentiality. And he has directed an investigation. And a lot of people go, okay, what does that mean? Well, I had no idea either. And I found out he has directed the marshal of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, to launch an internal investigation. I'm assuming what that means is that they will probably interview and try to track down who did the actual leaking. And it will require, I anticipate this is not going to be something we're going to hear about by next week short of somebody throwing themselves on the sword and coming forward and saying, yes, I did it. I think this is going to take several weeks to months because it's if they don't come forward and just say, yes, I did it, they're going to have to figure out how it got leaked and then try to trace who did that leaking through that. And that, that could be an almost insurmountable job. Uh, but the, the bigger thing we need to think about on this is that U.S. Courts Marshal's office has never had to do anything like this before. That's not something that they're trained necessarily in how to do, nor have they got experience in doing it. Um, So it's going to take some doing on their part to figure out how to come up with this. The court's actual marshal, and I don't want to, I have to be careful how I say that because it's not a court marshal like we would think of in the military where somebody else is being accused or court martialed for something. It's a title and it's, it's the marshal of the court, is a brand-new person at the U.S. Supreme Court. It's Colonel, uh, Colonel Gail Cawley, a veteran Army officer and lawyer. Now, the good part is it's a lawyer. 
the bad part is we have no idea whether that person's got real experience in understanding all of this. I'm sure that, that the colonel's got a good idea that, yes, this is really bad and I've got to figure out what's going on with it. But the question does is, does that person have the investigative background uh, to get to the finality and the truth of it? To give you an idea who the court martial, what they usually do, and a lot of you probably never seen anything at the U.S. Supreme Court. I've been before the Florida Supreme Court. When the justices are coming in, there is a person that stands up to introduce the court and basically oversees the security of that courtroom where the arguments are going to be at and the court, the security of the whole courthouse. That is the court martial. That's the person that stands up, gives that announcement that the justices are taking the bench and calling to order the court, and then has the security in place to make sure there's no problems inside that room and to verify the security of the entire uh, Supreme Court inner sanctum, so to speak, the whole inside of that, that Supreme Court building. That's not typically a role that does investigations uh, as it would relate to uh, something like this. I mean, it's just never happened before. And so it's kind of novel. We'll see how it turns out. I'll probably, whenever it does get uh, dealt with one way or the other, and hopefully this doesn't just die on the back burner somewhere, because it needs to be dealt with. And the reason it needs to be dealt with, folks, it can happen again. Once something like this has been done, sometimes it emboldens the person or persons uh, to do it again and again and again. They think they can get away with it. It's kind of like the person that goes out and robs a convenience store. Once they've had success doing it once and didn't get caught, they're like, wait a minute, I can keep doing this. I, I've dealt with this in, the, in criminal defense for years. Also deals with dope dealers. They go out and sell it one time and all of a sudden, hey, I can get away with this. And so they keep doing it until they finally get caught. It sometimes takes a while to catch them. Sometimes you can do it after the second one. Sometimes it's after the tenth one. Sometimes it's way later into it. They're eventually going to get caught. Well, the reason it's important that they get caught on this is to stop it. It cannot continue to do that. The whole concept of this third branch of the government is to act outside public influence. They are there to interpret the law and issue opinions uh, that guide us as it would relate to the law on legal issues. They are not there to be at the subject or will of a certain portion of our society. And a lot of people go, well, that's not right. Yeah, it is. We need that balancing. That's why we have three branches in our government. This is the branch that's supposed to have that ability to withdraw itself from public scrutiny and be able to issue uh, just opinions based on the facts, evidence, and law that's presented to them. So uh, Justice Roberts was asked about whether he was going to involve the Department of Justice or the FBI for assistance, and so far his answer is no, we want to handle this internally. Part of your problem you get is when you start involving other agencies, guess what happens? More leaks occur. Uh, you and We saw all that happening back with the uh, Clinton investigations, the Trump investigations. I mean, every day I'm waking up and seeing more garbage being leaked to the press, and you don't know what's true and what's not after a while. 
I can understand where Justice Roberts is coming from of wanting to limit the amount of people that have access to the internal workings of the U.S. Supreme Court so that they can try to control how this investigation is done without any further leaks and to try to determine who did it, for what reasons, and ultimately having that being able to be dealt with probably in a public function but not necessarily going into great detail as to how and, and when and why so that they can try to make sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, hopefully this particular court martial will be able to uh, put it together to do it without having to involve any other branches of the government uh, in order to be able to facilitate uh, the investigation and, and ferret out who did this. And it could be more than one person. What are the ramifications to the person or persons that were involved? And this won't take long to tell you because there's really only three that I've been able to come up with. Termination, which means firing that person, and that would be the probably the least of, of, of the problems of the person that gets caught, is that they need to be terminated. They cannot be trusted within the position anymore, and you have to demonstrate that there is a ramification for that action. The second one would be disbarment. These are law clerks. They have law degrees, or they are working towards a law degree, and they are there to perform a a function within the Supreme Court, and they know what the rules are. They have violated the rules, and therefore they would be subject to being disbarred and kept from ever having a law license again. So that would be the next step. The third step is criminal prosecution for leaking an official document. And yes, there is such a tater out there on the books, and the whole idea is to try to keep these types of things from happening, uh, we've we've seen those kinds of charges come before. Uh, back, you know, you even had stuff with the Watergate investigation in the 1970s. Uh, some people got charged out of leaking information. You, you've got other people that have probably been charged over the years. But there is federal laws on the books dealing with the leaking of official documents. Um, and it doesn't take any ill will to do it. It's just the leaking of it to begin with. Now, typically there is ill will simply because what other motive would they have to doing it? It's to try to affect an end result, and that is the ill will in and of itself. So you've got termination. That's really the least of the punishments. The disbarment, that's a bad one because that affects their livelihood for the rest of their lives, but that probably is warranted because they understood what their roles were when they came in as law clerks. And most of those law clerks that come through the U.S. Supreme Court, they're going to end up being federal district judges, federal circuit judges. Uh, I mean, those people end up moving up the food chain pretty fast on federal appointments, or they end up in some high-powered law firm making a bunch of money. These are very attractive clerking positions uh, within the government. Um, I think I've even mentioned before the federal district judge over in Tampa that recently issued uh, the opinion on mass mandates dealing with uh, with transportation. She had done a, a clerkship for Justice Thomas on the U.S. Supreme Court. She's now a federal district judge. Like I said, these, these types of, of clerkships are coveted by people because it leads to great jobs later on. Uh, they're, they're huge. So... When you get disbarred, that means you've just cut your nose off to spite your face. You're done. A lot of people say, well, they can write a book. They'll get all the interview circuits. 
That's still a rat at that point. I don't care how you want to swing it. They'll make money, but they're, they're going to be labeled as a rat for the rest of their life. So, and then the criminal charge, that can even be worse for them depending on how that goes. You could end up being a convicted felon out of it. Folks, uh, to wrap up the program today, uh, we've got a gun show coming into Lakeland that will be uh, not this coming weekend, but the following weekend, which I believe the dates on that are the 21st and 22nd of May. It is a big show. Uh, it's the one out at the Sun and Fun area of the um, airport, and it's put on by the Lakeland Pistol and Rifle Club. I will be there on Saturday and Sunday. It is not this weekend, but it is May 21st and 22nd, which is weekend after this. And I would love to see you out there. I think it's a good place to be. It's a good place to be able to pick up uh, some firearm that you might be looking for or some ammunition or, as I happen to be coveted too, my magazine sales that I do. And so I would look forward to seeing everybody out there. And if you've got any questions about that, you can certainly contact the Lakeland Pistol and Rifle Club for further information. You've been listening to Talk Radio 96.7 FM and 1430 AM.